uh, this morning I want, to, I want to do a, we haven't done this in a while. Hey, Rob. Hey. We haven't done this in a while, and we've been going through some pretty cool stuff, I think, you know, the last several months. So there may be some questions about different scriptures or different questions about the Christian life or, you know, issues or whatever. So um, I'd like this morning to do a question and answer kind of thing. And so just be thinking about if you have a question about a scripture or something that um, you've thought about, you know, like in a situation like this, what do you do? Or how do you handle this situation? That kind of thing. And I think it'll be really cool. I love questions and answers. I, I love um, looking at things and that, uh, because it lets, lets us know where people maybe are getting hung up on certain places in the new covenant or think, new covenant thinking. So it's really cool. I love that. So let's do that. I'm going to try to go through a lot of questions if possible. So I'm, I'm going to do my best not to give a 30-minute answer. <laughs> Although sometimes those long answers answer 10 other questions. So, but we'll see. So I really I'm look, I look forward to hearing your questions. So just be thinking about if you have something you want to ask about the new covenant of grace or some situation in your own life and how, how would Jesus handle this or what would, in light of grace, how do we do this, that kind of stuff. That'd be great. Or a scripture, a particular scripture that seems like this seems to contradict what I, you know, that kind of stuff. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for helping us see. Thank you for opening our eyes. Thank you that even as you opened the minds of the believers in the last chapter of Luke, you said he, you opened their minds that they might understand the scriptures. That's what you've done for us. Same thing. We have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. You said search the scriptures and you think in these scriptures you have life, but they speak of me. Come to me that you might have life. Thank you for opening our eyes to see you in the scriptures. And thank you, Lord, again for the reality of our union with you. Thank you that you're with us always. With us always. Even until the end of the world. Inside of us. And we in you. With us always. Where two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in their midst. Thank you, Lord. You're right here. Thank you, Lord. What an awesome reality. For I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. And now I am in you, and you are in me. For my Father and I have made our abode in you by the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are one. We are one. That you may know the love that the Father has for the Son is the same love the Father has for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this awesome reality. For we have been called into the fellowship of the Father and the Son. And therein we abide. Great peace. Another realm within us. A kingdom within Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
So who would like to start out with the, with the first question, something that you have had on your mind maybe, or scripture, or, yes? In the book of Revelation, if you don't have the answer right now, we can save it for next week. The oh, awesome, Norma Linda. Norma Linda just said, if you don't know the answer to the question, we can do it some other time. That's great, because I may not have, not especially if it's a prophetic thing about, you know, revelations, and because yeah. some of those things in Revelation, I don't have revelation on, I don't have light on, and I'll tell you if I don't, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure what that means or that, so that's great. If, if, we, uh, if there's a question like that that I don't have light on, I'm not going to try to answer something, but that's cool. What you got? To the church of the Laodiceans. Okay, got it. Cool. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Okay, let's look at that. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. The question is, I'm going to try to repeat the question. If I forget to repeat the question, please remind me because it's, that way it can be on the tape. Awesome, thank you. The question is, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, this is one of the seven letters to the churches. And the question is, there's a phrase in one of the letters to the church of Laodicea that says, um, that it uh, indicates that I will spit you out of my mouth if you're not hot or cold if you're lukewarm okay let's look at what that really is saying and look at the whole context okay verse 14 this is the the letter to the laodiceans to the angel of the church in laodicea which is this is actually the seventh letter the last letter some people theorize theorize that um, the seven letters are seven church ages and seven types of churches through the years and then this letter to the Laodiceans is like a letter to us in our age before the second coming before the end of the age um, I don't think that's necessarily true at all I think all seven churches all seven letters have have benefit have information and revelation and encouragement for uh, believers of all of all generations but anyway to the angel of the church of in Laodicea the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God says this that's awesome I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you or spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. For those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, notice, remember we talked about this last Sunday, how to read the scripture. First thing, you read the scriptures in light of the finished work of Christ. You you look at it through the eyes of Christ, relying on the Holy Spirit to reveal what the scripture is saying. Also, all that we know that is clear, we don't change something that seems to be not clear. We don't change all that we know to be clear because of something that seems like it's not clear. 
And then we realize that, look at who he's talking to, who the writer is talking to. All right, look at this. Even though he's writing to the groups of believers, the groups of churches, let me ask you this. Is he describing among these believers, is he describing a believer here? Exactly. In every group of believers, there are among the believers, unbelievers. And one day we'll talk about um, the Lord's Supper, how the, you know, we've had that mistaught that you drink judgment to yourself if you take the bread and the wine without um, examining yourself. Um, and we've had that mistaught in the past and it, and, uh, where people have said, if you don't examine yourself for sin and you take of the bread and the wine, you drink judgment to yourself, where Paul actually is saying there, and I can show you in the Greek that he actually is saying there, there are heretics among you, heretics among you, unbelievers among you, and they're drinking the cup and eating the bread unworthily because they're not believers. So they're, t- they're taking a covenant meal that is really a, pro- a pronouncement of their own sinfulness but for the believer, it's a pronouncement of the, the uh, forgiveness of that sinfulness. So if an unbeliever takes of the covenant meal, he's actually drinking judgment to himself. That's what, we, and this is a whole different thing. But it, it, the, the fact is, the truth is, there were unbelievers among the believers. So Paul in that phrase was saying, you're not discerning the Lord's body. That's the reason why they were drinking in an unworthy manner. How can you eat and drink of the covenant meal in an unworthy manner? It can be because you're in sin because the covenant meal is all about the, the proclamation that your sin is not being counted against you. I mean, that's the whole meal. To eat this, drink this. This blood is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. This bread is broken for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me, not your sins. So the only way you can drink and eat of the covenant meal unworthily such that Paul would say you drink judgment to yourself is that if you drink the covenant meal, eat the covenant meal as an unbeliever. And that's what they were doing. They were not discerning the Lord's body. He says, he says you're not discerning the Lord's body. You're serving at these agape feasts. You're serving the covenant meal to unbelievers who are coming to these feasts. Who are, they're coming to the feast to get the food. And, 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 and partake in the joy and the fun, but they're not even believers. And so that's the point I want to make, is that there are sometimes unbelievers among the believers, and Paul even says, God allows this to be so, so that, so that those, are, those who are approved, those who are believers, might be made manifest. So sometimes that's just part of God's, the wheat and the tares grow together. But you don't try to pull up the, ta- the tares. Let the wheat and the tear grow together. God knows those who are his. See? All right. So he's addressing the churches. He's gathering the believers. And there's a group, there's a, there a group of believers um, that have within them here in the church of Laodicea people that are not in Christ. They're not in Christ. And I can prove it. Read, read, read his words here. I know your deeds. Look at verse 15. Neither cold nor hot. Cold nor hot is a reference to um, a drink that is cold is, is a good drink in the summertime. It satisfies cold drink in the summertime. In the wintertime, a hot drink is good. 
A hot drink warms you, coffee, hot chocolate in the, in the wintertime. So cold or hot is good. That's not talking about on fire for God or not on fire for God. That's not talking about that. It's talking about there, there are cold drinks that are good in the hot summer and there are hot drinks that are good in the wintertime. So these are the kind of drinks that are good. Nobody likes lukewarm. It doesn't satisfy. Lukewarm doesn't cool you off in the hot summer and lukewarm doesn't warm you up in the winter. That's all he's saying. He's saying that, that lukewarm is not what, you, what you're offering to me, Jesus is saying, what you're offering to me as one who is among the believers but not a believer, what you're offering to me, I know your deeds, and what you're offering to me as, a, as an unbeliever among the believers, is, it doesn't satisfy me. My people give me cold drinks in the summertime, which is analogous to, and you have done it to the least of my brothers, you've done it unto me. My people give me hot drinks in the cold winter. And that, that homeless man on the street that you gave a hot drink to, he gave it unto me. But this lukewarm stuff, you, you don't have the ability to give me a hot drink or a cold drink until you're in me and I'm in you. You see? Okay, look at this. So the stuff you've given me, I'm going to spit out of my mouth. In other words, it doesn't satisfy. He says, I'm going to spit this out of my mouth. It doesn't satisfy. All right, look at the next. 17, because you say, you say, now these are people that are, Christ is outside the door trying to get in. This is the same group. He's, you say that you're rich. You become wealthy. You have need of nothing. And you don't, do not know. That's someone who is just... It's all outward, all visible, all of this world. I'm a successful, I'm a self-made man. I've done it all. Look, I've got all this wealth. Look how, look, look how rich I am. Look how I have need of nothing. It's just like the parable of the man who's, who said, I will build more barns. Look at all the money I have. But he was not rich toward God in faith. So then he says, but you do not know that you are wretched Jesus would never call his child wretched. He calls his bride. He tells, he says, my bride, I cherish her. I nourish her. She has no spot or wrinkle. I love what Clark said this morning. It's so cool. It's so true. He's already removed all spots and wrinkles. That verse in Ephesians 5 where it says, by the washing of the word, he gave, her, him, gave himself for her that he might cleanse her by the washing of the word, that he might present her to himself without spot, without wrinkle. We've had that taught to us that that means as a believer, if you get in the word and study the word and get it in you, the word will wash you and one day you'll be without spot and without wrinkle. That's not what it is at all. First of all, they didn't have the word. They had a letter from Paul no one had, the Gentiles didn't have access to Old Testament scriptures. They didn't even know Hebrew. These are Gentiles. The world had a few letters from Paul that were circulating around and later a few gospels. They didn't have the word to study. There was no Strong's Concordance. You know, they didn't have 15 translations of the Bible. They had a few letters from Paul. What is he talking about here? It's the word of the message of the gospel. He said it just above that. He said, he gave himself for her. That's the word. 
That's the message. That's the revelation. He gave himself for her that, he, that she might be washed with the, and cleansed by the washing of this word that he gave himself for her. You see it? He became sin for her that she would become the righteousness of God in him. That's the word. He's talking about the message, the revelation. And therefore, you, my bride, are without spot and without wrinkle or any such thing, any such thing. I present you to me, I to you. Paul says in in that same letter, I know this mystery is great, but just as a man leaves his mother and father and cleaves to his wife, the two shall become one, even so Christ and his church are one. Without spot, without wrinkle. See, that's what that verse means. There's no reference to that in the, about his second coming at all in there. But men have added this, oh, hey, before he comes back again, before the second coming, he's going to get us cleansed by the word. So without spot, he's not coming back for a church with spot or wrinkle. Ah! I can, if I heard, if, oh, I've heard that a thousand times. He's not coming back until the church gets without spot or wrinkle. I actually wrote a letter to Leonard Ravenhill about, you know, oh, Leonard Ravenhill. I wrote a letter to him about this. I still have the letter back in 1990-something, and I said, I said, Mr. Ravenhill, with all respect, you know, and I, 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 was, I, I wrote him a letter about he, I read one of his articles about how the church has never been without spot or wrinkle since the inception of the church. One of these days, we'll get it together, but so far it's been 2,000 years, and we're still not without spot or wrinkle. I'm going like, oh, my God. Leonard Ravenhill, everybody's thinking, oh, Leonard Ravenhill, big revivalist, and I'm sure, you know, he's a great man of God, you know, in his day, and he's, you know, Mr. Holiness, and he's, you know, he's really a good, I'm sure he is, you know, a pillar, but he's wrong about that. The church has not gone 2,000 years without spot or wrinkle, and, and, uh, and one day we maybe, you know, that's why Jesus hadn't come back yet, because he's waiting for us to get without spot or wrinkle. Give me a break. He didn't respond to the letter. He didn't respond. And I was like, what's that? No, as far as I know, he didn't. But, um, but anyway, that's, that's how we get off. Just that little phrase in Ephesians, you know, about the word. The washing of the word is not, a, it's not reading the Bible to get washed. The word is the revelation. The washing of this revelation that he gave himself for her. Isn't that awesome? Yes, Millie. Awesome. Okay, let's finish this. Okay, so, so the Lord is talking to this, these people among believers that think they're rich, think they're wealthy, think they're, and the Lord says, you know, no, you know not that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. That's not a description of a believer. Then he says, I advise you to buy from me gold. I love the, base, the verse in the, the prophets. It says, um, uh, it says, you who have no money, come and buy. Isn't that great? You who have no money, come and buy. Come and buy. God has given, you know, the, speaking about the righteousness of God as a gift, you know. Come and buy. You have no money, come and buy. And that's what he's saying here. Buy from me gold. And he's not saying you have to give him anything. You have no money, come. Just receive is what he's saying. Buy from me gold. And I guess he said that probably as a, as a uh, reference to how they were into buying stuff. You know, they're buying, we're wealthy, we're rich, we have need, we've, we've bought all this stuff, we've got a boat and a cabin in the woods and, you know, 
He says, buy from me the true riches, the gold, refined by fire so that you may become rich. He was refined by fire. The Christ himself was refined. He was tempted in all ways yet without sin. He has been made our high priest. He is the gold, the divine, that now is able to give us his divine life and divine nature. The gold, the, the, the chief cornerstone, the stone that, he, that God said, I lay a stone that if any man stands on that stone shall not be moved. See? And then he says, and buy for me white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. That means righteousness, sin removed and shame removed. Righteousness, white purity from Christ. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. They're blind, he said. They're blind. See. See with new eyes. He's came to open the eyes of the blind. Those whom I love, I, repro- I reprove, and reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He loves the world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he reproves the, the world that says, I'm righteous. I have need of nothing. I'm rich. Not realizing that they are blind and wretched and miserable and naked. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, they haven't opened the door yet. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, anyone, I will come into him, which means that he was not inside of them. And I will dine with him and he with me. See it? And then he says, verse 21, he who overcomes. You know what a definition of overcomer is? It's simply the one who believes. What is it that overcomes the world, John said? Even our faith. An overcomer is simply someone who connects, who attaches himself to the overcoming one, which is Christ. Through faith, Oh, who was it? Hannah Whittall Smith wrote in her book years ago. Hannah Whittall Smith said something like, um, there is nothing that can stop the one who through faith has joined himself or herself to omnipotence. I love that. Through Christ, we can do all things through Christ. Through your simple faith, you have overcome by believing. In one of the churches here in Revelation, he said, um, he said you have little strength, little strength. You're weak. Um, you've, you know, you've, you've got a lot of issues and you were struggling with a lot of things, a lot of flesh issues. But he says, but you have not denied my name. They're overcomers. Outwardly, maybe they don't look like they have it all together and they're weak. Jesus himself said you're weak and you, you're struggling with a lot of things, but you've not denied my name. You've not denied my name. They will overcome. Isn't that Awesome. Verse 21, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He's appealing to these people that are all into wealth and riches and power of this world. And he's saying, look, I can give you something a lot better than those riches and wealth and power of this world. If you will receive from me, one day you'll sit down with me on the throne of the universe as my bride. Isn't that awesome? So this letter to the church of Laodicea, it is to the church, it is to believers, but the believers had among them these people that thought they saw. 
They had no need of anything. They were blind. They were miserable. They were naked. They were wretched. They were all these things. And he was outside the door, outside their lives, knocking. If any man hear my voice, Scripture says that the unbeliever will hear and believe and live. The dead will hear and the, the voice of the Son of God and live. And he will go in and sit down with them and have fellowship with them. Isn't that cool? Now, so there's a, there's a scripture right there that if you don't read it through the eyes of the finished work of Christ and see clearly, you can get, oh, it can unravel everything the scripture just taught us in the entire Bible. And we see, and there are examples of unbelievers being among the believers over and over again. Ananias and Sapphira is another one. Ananias and Sapphira were unbelievers trying to join the church, trying to be a part of the believers. We've been taught for years that Ananias and Sapphira were believers and that God, this is what, you know, be, be careful because if you lie, you know, God's going to strike you dead. That's rampant out there in the church. But when you look at the, when you study the Ananias and Sapphira, there's, there's clues all in there to tell you that they're unbelievers. First of all, the first thing you look at is the scripture doesn't say that Ananias and Sapphira were believers. It doesn't say it. It also doesn't say that Ananias and Sapphira were unbelievers. It doesn't say it. So it doesn't say clearly they're believers or they're unbelievers. So you have to look from the text to see, you know, who are these people? And one clue is really big, I think, is Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. Every single time he refers to a believer in the letter, the book of Acts, every single time, he says, a certain disciple named so-and-so, a certain disciple named so-and-so, a certain disciple named so-and-so. Even with Ananias, the Ananias that went and laid hands on Paul, he said, a certain disciple named Ananias. But when he gets to Ananias and Sapphira, he writes, a certain man named Ananias. Big clue. And then also you see what, as they come, you see Peter say things like, I perceive you're still in the bondage of iniquity. That means you're unregenerated. You're still joined to iniquity. Um, why has Satan filled your heart? That's a reference to, that's what happened to Judas. Same phrase, fill, Satan filled your heart. You don't say that to a believer. Satan cannot fill the heart of a believer. And a believer's not still joined to their iniquity. See, he perceived they're not, basically he was saying, I perceive you're an unbeliever. And then you have another clue in the passage where it says that after they fell down dead, lying to Peter and them about the whole property thing, then it says the rest of the people, the rest of the people dared not try to do that. The rest of them, the rest, there was a group they came from an outside group. They saw a good thing happening. I mean, they're sharing their property, their wealth. There's joy. There's fun. There's life in here. There's security. I want to join them. Let's join them. Okay, well, what do you have to do to join them? They're giving their property. Let's do that. Well, let's keep some back for ourselves. Okay, let's do that. That was their plan. And so they left this other group to join this group. And when that happened, the other group said, we're not going to do that. We're not going to try that because we heard about Ananias, our buddies, Ananias and Sapphira. See? Isn't that awesome? The rest of them dared not try to do that. And then the next verse says, but the church grew and multiplied and was increased um, by the power of God and joy was with the people of God. And there are other clues in there. It's fun. It's, isn't it fun just to pull these things out? Amen. One day, look at that passage of Ananias and Sapphira and, and, and write, it all the, uh, write down all the things. What I did one time, we did, a, we did this in the class about three years ago here. And I'm going to get a blackboard one day. We had a blackboard. That was cool. 
and we had on one side, we said, okay, let's read the scripture verse by verse, this passage about Ananias and Sapphira. On this side, we're going to put everything in the scripture that indicates they may be believers. And on this side, everything that, from the passage that indicates they may be unbelievers. And the unbeliever section or column was like filled with all these scripture or these clues that they're not believers at all. The only thing we had in this column that said that they might be a believer is that they were trying to join the church. That's it. How many people try to join the church every week for other reasons, other motives? I can pass out my business cards. Networking. I can feel better about myself. I can go to church and feel better about myself. I can do good, you know, all, you know it's every week people are trying to join the church for some other reason. So that's the only thing in the whole passage that indicates they might be believers that they were trying to join the church. Anyway, it's so cool to see those things. All right, I, I want to go to another um, person, another question, so, so we can try to get as many as we can. That did answer a few questions though, right there, though, right? And that's why we have to look at it carefully, just like the letter, to first, letter of 1 John. The letter of 1 John is written to believers, but in the letter of 1 John, he's addressing unbelievers who have not, who, who don't recognize their need for a savior, the Gnostics. And so he, in the letter to the believers, he addresses these people who don't see their need for a savior. And, the, and he says, they don't have the word in them. They don't have the truth in them. They're deceived and they're calling God a liar because God says they are sinners. And he says, he says, but to that group in that letter, they will confess their sins like we did. And you know, um, God is faithful and just to forgive them of their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. And so even though the letter is in generally to the church, inside the letter, there's references to unbelievers. And Paul did the same thing. Paul has letters to the believers, but within the letter, references to the Pharisees, to the Galatians, legalists, you know, all these things are in the, in the, uh, in the letter itself. So you have to know who they're writing to. I had a question, a hand come up over here, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Um, Kathleen just said that... Um, Sometimes people get off on these letters, uh, not just the letters in Revelation, but anything that it says to the church. So you think, okay, everything's following here is going to be to the believers when he's really addressing the church about a problem in the church. See, you can address the church about a problem in the church, just like he did with the Lord's Supper. He said, the Lord's Supper, we're going to look at that one day, but the Lord's Supper, he said, I have two problems with you, Corinthians, two issues about this, about the covenant meal, about the agape feast. I have two, two issues I want to address. He goes, he goes, the first, the most important one, the first, there are heretics among you. There are unbelievers among you. So he's writing to the church about the church, but, uh, but the topic is about unbelievers among them. See? So he says, there are heretics among you, and you're not discerning the Lord's body among you. And so you're, after this agape feast, when you, do, when you pass out the bread and the wine, you're serving it to those who are not a member of the body of Christ. They're not even believers, and they're drinking judgment to themselves. They're, they're drinking it unworthily because they're not even in the covenant. And so therefore, he says, let a man examine himself, and then let him eat and drink. And the, the phrase, examine himself, he's, he repeats that phrase in the second Corinthian letter. So you know what he means by the, that phrase. The second Corinthian letter, he writes that same phrase, and he says... Um, know you not? He says, examine yourself. Know ye not Christ is in you. Otherwise, you are unregenerated. Yeah. See, the only examination that we need to do at the Lord's Supper, and, it's, and you don't have to do it every, every time you do it because you're a believer, but the, the, the call to examine yourself at the Lord's table is not for sin. It's to, are you, is Christ in you? Are you in Christ and is Christ in you? If so, let him eat, let him drink of the cup. And celebrate the truth that your sins are not being counted against you anymore because you have believed. But if you're gathering with the other believers and you're not sure you're really in him, you just heard about this awesome feast and you're here and you showed up and you're 
then examine yourself and ask yourself, are you among the covenant family? Have you believed? Is Christ in you? Otherwise, you're still unregenerated. But come, come, believe, and let him eat and drink of the cup and rejoice with us. See? Isn't that cool? Okay. Um, any other questions? Yeah, Ken. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's a good question, though. Um, let me try to hit on some high points. Calvinism versus the finished work of Christ. Calvinism is just another word for Reformed theology. Um, it, it, they get the word Calvinism because John Calvin was one of the huge proponents of Reformed theology. Um, there's a lot about Reformed theology that is right on, that is correct. It's not, it's not all bad. It's like Justification by faith, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit revelation of the Trinity, um, the priesthood of all believers, um, you know, all these things. The Reformed theology was a reaction to Roman Catholicism in that day. It was a reaction to the, the Pope saying he is the authority, that his authority is, is over the Scripture, and that whatever the church says is the final word, and the Scripture is not the final word. That's why they would burn people at the stake in those days. The Roman Catholics would if you tried to read the scriptures or try to get a copy of the scriptures. And that's why, um, you know, Luther was hunted by the, uh, the Vatican's armies to find Luther because he was printing the Bible and getting it out to the masses and stuff. So, um, so there's a lot of good stuff the reformers did to get the word out to the people, to focus on righteousness by faith and not by works. Uh, all those things that the church was plunged into the dark ages because of this religious uh, thinking and this hiding of the gospel um, through the centuries. Um, but where, they, where I divert from the Reformed thinking, where I think they're off, is that re Reformed theology teaches that, that a person cannot exercise faith cannot believe unless God sovereignly chooses that person and regenerates that person apart from any faith at all regenerates sovereignly regenerates someone and then as a result of being born again then they're able to believe that's not what the scripture teaches and therefore they believe that there are certain people thousands millions that God has sovereignly chosen not to regenerate. Therefore, it's impossible for them to believe. Therefore, it's impossible for them to be saved. So they are predestined from the moment of birth to hell for all eternity. That's what they teach. And they say God is sovereign. He can do what he wants and he can do what he wills. And it's not scriptural. The same Jesus who wept over Jerusalem this is one thing I've, I've asked Reformed uh, theologians before about this, and they can't answer this. Jesus is the express image of God. To see Jesus is to see God. To see the Son is to see the Father. Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. And he says, how often I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks and protects you from all enemies. How often I would have, I would have, but you would not. That flies in the face of reformed thinking because reformed thinking says that's impossible. If God wills, it will be done. No, there's a choice. There's a choice. 
Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. See, there's a choice. You can hear his voice and harden your heart. God is not willing that any man perish, but all should come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 John 2, 2 says, he died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. We can't answer that verse either. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes have eternal life. So that's where I really draw the line with reform thinking. Yeah, Millie? That's right, the world. That's exactly correct. That's exactly correct, Millie. It's, it, when Peter was given the vision, Peter was given the vision of the, of the white sheet with four corners coming down. That speaks of the four corners of the world, north, east, south, and west, and unclean animals in this white sheet. And he said, the Lord said, eat, kill and eat. And he's a good Jew. He doesn't eat unclean animals. He had all kind of good shrimp in there and, <laughs> and bacon, some good stuff. And, and, and um, the Lord said, eat. And he said, no, I, can't, I, I don't eat unclean stuff. And the Lord says, three times he did that. Three times speaks of three, means, three speaks of revelation, a revealing of something. Three is a revealing in the scripture. And so God says, here it is. And here's the, here's the message of this dream. And he says, what God has cleansed. Notice it came, they came from heaven. God sees them in heaven. Reconcile. Came from heaven down to earth. Not earth up, down from heaven. What God has cleansed, let no man call unholy anymore. That's when Peter knew he was supposed to go to the Gentiles and preach. Millie is exactly correct. From God's perspective, God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting their sins against them. And Christ in us beseeches the world, be reconciled to God. In other words, receive what has already been done. Isn't that awesome? So you see people already reconciled from God's perspective, asking them merely, just take the gift. Receive the gift. Receive the gift. Receive the gift. He's not going to die again. It's done. He sits. His work is finished. He's purged the whole world of all sin. Call no man unholy. Call no man unclean. And when you have that perspective, one thing it does, people are drawn to you. They don't feel condemned. They don't feel like you're looking down your nose at them. They don't feel judgment because you see from God's perspective, God has cleansed you. Woman, bring your husband here to the well. Master, I don't have a husband. You say, well, in fact, you've had five husbands, which means five divorces, and now the man you're living with now is not your husband. You've said, well. And then he looks right over that messed up life. Ah, oh, woman, if you only knew who I was. It's about me, woman. It's not about you, your performance, your track record. If you only knew who I was. If we only knew, if he only, she only knew what he did. This is after the cross, see? You would ask of me, and I'd give you water to drink, and you'd never thirst again. It's never about you, woman. Don't be afraid. Peter says, oh, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Peter, don't be afraid. Believe only. Come to me. It's all about him. He did it. With this perspective, we go into the world, and we have a twinkle in our eye. Oh, woman, oh, dude, if you only knew... I mean, no condemnation, no judgment. Dude, if you only knew, man, if you only knew him. 
man, you're, you're thirsting for life. You're doing all this drugs and sex and rock and roll and you think that's satisfying. Man, if you only knew, if you only knew him, man, he'd give you water to drink and you'd never thirst again. You see what I'm saying? There's a twinkle in your eye. My brother Robert used to say, the gospel is like having a diamond in your pocket and the world says there's no more diamonds in the world and Robert would have this diamond in his pocket just holding it like going, dude, there are diamonds. Trust me, trust me, I have one, you know? And that's what you have. You have the complete reconciliation. You have Christ within you. Peter says, we don't have silver and gold to give you, but we have such as we have, we give to you. Believe, we have the reconciliation. We want to give it to you. God has entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation, the serving of it. That's what ministry means. God has entrusted us to serve the message of this reconciliation to let them know that God no longer considers them unclean. Now, it's true that if they die in their sins, if they, don't, if they die without receiving the gift, they will die in their sins, Jesus said, because they failed to receive the reconciliation. And they will stand in the last day in their own sins and, and in their own righteousness, which is not gonna be enough. But that's why we, Christ beseeches through us, begs, he begs to the world, be reconciled to God. He's already reconciled himself to you. Be reconciled to God, receive, receive. That's exactly right. It changes your way of seeing people. Uh, changes the way, to the way you minister. Everything. And I've heard on the radio, I've heard the reforms teach about how, you know, they, they, have, to, they have to answer that question over and over again because the question comes up. Like, well, why, why do we have to spread the news? Why do we have to preach the gospel? Why do we have to reach out for the lost? Why, why evangelism then? And, 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 uh, and their answer is this. The answer is because it is our duty. Because we are commanded to do it, and it's our no duty. No, no passion behind it. That's right. There's really no purpose or passion. There's no, there's like, it's a duty. It's a duty. It's a commandment. We just obey because that's the commandment. We do it. And, you know, yeah, but there's no, there's no, there's no sense of like, oh, we cannot help but speak what we've seen and heard and tell people. The love of Christ compels me, Paul says. Yeah. How can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless someone preaches? How can someone preach unless he be sent? See? It's, it's all in Scripture. It's, 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 it's clear that God has done a work for all people for all time, Hebrews, and it's just a matter of receiving and believing, and God is using us to herald as troubadours of His grace. That's why it says many are called, but few are chosen. That means the word in the Greek there is the many, the multitudes are called. They're all called. The voice is going out to the ends of the earth, the Scripture says. They're all called, but few are chosen because they choose to reject him. You become a chosen one when you receive the chosen one. There's only one chosen one. Christ, my servant, the chosen one, Isaiah says. He's the chosen one. And in him, you become chosen. So Christ was predestined, right? Yes. Before the foundation of the world, he was predestined. That's exactly right. And even he, to, even he could have chosen not to go to the cross. So it's not, even, it's not even the Christ himself had to choose as a prototype of our choosing. You see? Because he said, know you not that I could ask my father and 12 legions of angels would come and rescue me and the whole earth would be lost forever. He could do that. He said, no, you know, I could ask my father and, and not go to the cross. He chose not my will, but your will be done, father. What's that? That's right. Willingly. 
He, not my will, but thy will be done. If you can make this cup pass for me, Father, make it pass. But anyway, so, so he chose also himself. Even though he's predestined to be the son, the lamb, he chose willingly. And that's because we're made in his image and part of our, the image of God in us is that we have a little bit of sovereignty in each one of us. We're made in his image. We can choose a little bit of sovereignty in every creation of God in terms of our, our own choices to believe or not believe. Yeah, that's, they're saying, the Reformed theology says that it's impossible for you to choose God or, or Jesus or to believe unless God first sovereignly regenerates you and creates you anew and makes you be born again. And then only in that state can you choose God. And which, oh, that op- opens up so many problems because that means Abraham was regenerated. They teach that David was born again. They teach that everybody in the Old Testament was born again. And that's just not the truth. It's impossible. They could not have been born again apart from the work of Christ. That's why they descended to Sheol. They didn't ascend to heaven. They, des- they, they had to wait till the work was done on earth. And that's why he had to descend to set them free. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's a very confusing teaching that is actually the worst part about it. It's an attack on the character of God. That's the bottom line. It makes the father look like um, the, the creator of the Titanic. He only gave a certain amount of lifeboats on the Titanic. That guy was, was criminalized because he built the Titanic and didn't provide enough lifeboats so that when it sank, only the ones who could fit in those lifeboats survived and all those others died in those cold, icy waters. That's the picture that is portrayed in this kind of thinking, that God only has certain lifeboats and the rest are doomed forever. And that person was criminalized. That's not our daddy. We've got to go. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a verse too that says that um, you can't come unless the Father draws you. But that's true. The, uh, the Lord says, if I be lifted up on the tree, I will draw all men to me. See, the Spirit is out there drawing all men. But if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, he's drawing, but you can choose to harden your heart against the drawing of God. So God God draws, but we have a choice to receive that or reject that. And Jesus made it very clear, if I be lifted up on the tree, I will draw all men to me. Which means the revelation of the complete forgiveness of sin is the power of the gospel to draw men to him. For it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance awesome we better wrap it up sorry guys you like you guys like the question and answer thing we'll do it some more i love stuff like this awesome really i thought it had to be awesome yeah i know hot or cold love you guys lord thank you so much that you knocked on our door and we opened and you did come in you sat down with us and every day we sit with you And you with us. You break bread with us. Thank you, Lord, that you have clothed us with white garments. And you do, you have opened our eyes. And thank you for this reality. Lord Jesus, help us to rightly divide the word of truth. Help us to study, to show ourselves approved. Study the scriptures. So we'll clearly speak 
according to the work of Christ and the revelation of the Spirit. I pray right now, Father, for my brothers and my sisters. I pray that they have an awesome, awesome week. I pray that the favor of God will be upon them manifestly, even as it already is. I pray that the favor of God would be upon them in a manifest way. Let there be favor. Let there be doors opened. Let there be joy. Let there be peace. I pray for great favor this week. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Cool.